as I mentioned, we will be uh, in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Um, and the Gospel of Mark is, is, is an ancient text from the first century. It's the Gospel, or, or the Good News, as it is translated, according to Mark. It's a first century narrative text describing the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And as a whole, uh, Mark's Gospel is a proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, He is the promised Messiah of old, the Son of God whose death and whose resurrection paid the penalty for our sins and achieved victory over Satan, sin, and death. That is how the Gospel of Mark boils down. And in this specific text, narrowing into Mark chapter 4, Jesus uh, announces his messianic identity. And he does so by way of spiritual analogies in Uh, which in Scripture we often call parables. And with this joyful announcement comes the call to all believers everywhere for faith and for mission in the world as they follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Faith and mission. We have things to do, church. We have places to go, people to talk to. And in these few verses this morning, I want to help us to understand and to apply Jesus' teaching about light and to dissect this important spiritual illustration that he, he so frequently uses as we uh, opened our, 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 our service up with Matthew chapter 5, how he uses this theme of light. So with that said, let me muse a little bit on the importance of light. <clears throat> the importance of light is our first point. Optics. Optics is, is the branch of physics that studies the properties of light. It's actually quite fascinating. Digging just a little bit, it could lead you down uh, quite a rabbit hole, which leads in many directions. This triangular prism, no, I promise I'm not going to start playing any Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, is apparently the best way to illustrate the process of electromagnetic radiation or a visible light in the universe. The God-designed physical properties of light is what spawned the creation of the universe. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 said, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God, in his omnipotent power, created the intensely complex properties of light and in turn allowed that light to be the sustaining in life giving factor of life on this earth as electromagnetic radiation is emitted from the sun. The importance of light could be further comprehended in the process of photosynthesis as plants synthesize nutrients from the sunlight using chlorophyll and filter the air that we breathe, producing the oxygen that we need. The process of photosynthesis is is, is utterly amazing Plants convert light energy into chemical energy, resulting in the production of sugars, such as glucose, which provides the plant with food and allowing it to live and to grow and to reproduce and give every creature on this planet food and nutrients it needs to survive. We need photosynthesis to feed the plants. We need the plants to feed the animals to which some were worthy enough to be in and out hamburgers and 
Dodger dogs. Rest in peace, Dodgers. I'm sorry, all the fans out there. They'll be back next year. <laughs> Every living creature depends on light. And even further, the, the human body needs to be exposed to natural light and the natural rhythm of, of, the, of light and, and, and to, to function properly, right? Have you ever spent the whole, the whole day at the beach, anybody? I mean, we live a uh, half mile away from the beach here. Uh, only to get home and just get super tired and crash on your bed. Because when you go to the beach, you're, you're energized and you're excited and the sun gives you that energy. But after a few hours later, you're tired and you're sluggish and you're ready to go home. I'm sure you know, especially living here in Southern California, that you don't feel the same way on uh, bright and sunny days as you do on gloomy days, right? I mean, even today, tomorrow's supposed to rain. We'll probably feel a little bit different, right? It's because light and the natural rhythm of light gives us the right amount of energy for the day. And natural light, in turn, uh, secretes melatonin in us, which is the hormone that controls your sleep and wake cycles. Isn't God so creative? Natural light provides us with vitamin D, which keeps our bones and muscles and heart healthy. Light was important for navigation. Uh, Ships of old would use stars and constellations for travel. Later, they used lighthouses so they would know how to make their turns and land safely in the port. Furthermore, good quality street light can reduce accidents and injuries by 30% and at the same time deter crime. Research shows that improved street lighting can help reduce crime such as burglary and theft by 21%. Light's important in hospitals, which are open 24-7. In times of dire need for doctors to perform surgeries and save lives. Nowadays, light energy is converted into solar energy or electric energy by solar panels, which which power our homes and cars. An added sentimental value, light's important for photography to, to take pictures of our loved ones. So why do I say all this? Not because I came here to give you a, a science lesson, although this is super interesting, right? I mean, like I said, it, you could go down into this study and it could take you into a rabbit hole. And science could, could by all means point us to the creator of light. But no, today I came here to proclaim to you the one who has revealed himself to us as the essence and the bodily form of light. His name is Jesus. He is the source of spiritual light. Just take a look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all, came, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the light coming into the world enlightens every person. This is the light that I came here to declare to you, Jesus. This is the light that as a church, we, we come to rally around. This is the light that has enlightened us. This is the light that we are on a mission here in Los Angeles to shine. And ironically, the, the physical properties and functions of light are, are a perfect analogy, 
of how Christ lives his life and the identity of Christ himself and how we are to reflect Christ as his followers. So just as light is important to our everyday world, this theme and motif of light was also vitally important to God as he revealed himself to us in his word and to his creation. In fact, this word light is used approximately 275 times throughout scripture. I entitled my sermon today, Photosynthetic People. In essence, just, just as a plant or a tree takes light from the sun and shares its produce with the world, we too, as recipients of God's divine light from the heavens, imparted to us by the Son of God through the power of His Spirit, have a renewed responsibility to share the light of Christ with the world. Amen? And it, that is the essence of today's sermon. That is the essence of our duty and joy as Christians. Not that we are the same as plants, not that we can actually photosynthesize, but that we would take spiritual enlightenment from the Son of God and share its fruit that is born in us with the world around us. With that said, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, just a few verses, verse 21 to 23. Let's read these verses together. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This leads us to point number two, the design of light. What is the design of light? What is it designed to do? Well, t Jesus teaches us here that using the light and, and the lamp as, a, as an illustration, its design is not to be hidden, not to be put under a basket or under a bed, but it is to be put on a stand. This statement would have probably caused its listeners to chuckle a little bit. Has someone uh, ever given you oversimplistic instructions and that you were offended by it? Like, really? Did you really need to tell me that? I have plenty of those examples, but one that makes me laugh the most are, are the instructions for the MRE we ate in the military. MRE stands for meal ready to eat. Anybody ever had an MRE before? Meal ready to eat? They're really good and when you're hungry, and they're really gross when you're not. Uh, it's, a, it's a packaged meal with so many preservatives that it would probably be good from now until the end of Christ's millennial kingdom. Um, <laughs> But here's a picture of it right here. It's what it looks like. Uh, the, the funniest part of the instructions is, is the way it explains heating it up. Basically, for the heater to activate, it needs to be propped up. And as you can see, it needs to be propped up on a rock or something. <laughs> That's literally the instructions on the packaging. Um, I'm pretty sure if I didn't have a rock, I would, wouldn't know what to do and then starve to death. But it's, it, it's oversimplistic. And... If you put a lamp on, uh, uh, you know, under a bed or under a basket, what would it do? It would either extinguish the flame or it would what? Catch your entire house on fire, right? So I'm sure the listeners probably laughed a little, but it's not a good idea to put a lamp under a basket or under a bed. Lamps uh, in the first century were little clay jars filled with oil, and they were lit on fire, 
and they were to be put on a stand or, or a shelf in the corner of the room, and able to, be, to give maximum coverage to light the room. So why is Jesus talking about a lamp? And what does a lamp have to do with anything? Well, if you're a, a first century Jewish listener or reader here, a lamp is a, is a very significant cultural artifact to ancient Israelites and to first century Jews. Here are just a few uh, verses to show you. You could write them down or highlight them as necessary, uh, as they are really good New Testament uses of the old. But first of all, a lamp is a frequent metaphor for God himself. A lamp is a frequent metaphor for God himself. 2 Samuel 22, 29 says, For you are my lamp, Lord, and the Lord illuminates my darkness. Again, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the idea of lamp is used for the identity of the Messiah, the King of Israel, who would come through the line of King David. 2 Kings 8, 19 says, However, the Lord did not want to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he had promised to give him a lamp through his sons always. A lamp, a beacon of light who would come, and as we know it, bring light and salvation to his people through the lineage of David. In Psalm 132, 17, I will make the horn of David spring forth here. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. This, of course, refers to the Messiah, which also means anointed one. The symbol of the lamp is also a picture for what else? The Bible. The Bible. Psalm 119, 105, a very famous psalm, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This Jewish audience listening to Jesus in Mark 4 would understand that Jesus was speaking about himself as the light and the radiance of the light being the message that Jesus was preaching. The radiation of the light, the message of Jesus, was the good news of the kingdom of God. We know this because of the flow of Mark's gospel here. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. Here it is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came to be the king of Israel. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus performs a sign that the kingdom has come by healing a paralytic. That's what the Messiah would come to do. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus again demonstrates these kingdom promises being fulfilled by restoring a man's withered hand. The Messiah was here. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus starts to teach in parables about what's going on and how some will believe, some will not. Some will be blind and veiled to understanding the truth of his identity. Some will get it. In some, the, the message of the kingdom was not meant to be hidden, not meant to be put under a basket or, or under a bed, but to be put on display so that as many people as possible could hear, and see, and respond to Jesus. So what was this message of the kingdom? What was the lamp that was placed on the shelf? It was the good news that God has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to redeem and restore Israel, God's chosen people. But as we know it, this good news was, was rejected. And the kingdom of God offered to the people was rejected and therefore withheld until Israel would come to the Lord in faith and repentance. But did this take God by surprise? 
course not. No. This was the plan of God all along. That the Father who sent the Son in the power of the Spirit, the triune God who we worship this morning, would decree before the existence of light itself that through the rejection of the Messiah, he would bring into his family a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Gentiles, like many of us in this room, would inherit this light and God would institute this age called the church where he would call his people to go out into all the earth and to say, shine the light, preach the good news, preach the gospel, and he will do the work of bringing people into his fold. God has come. The Messiah has come. See the light. Believe, repent, and go forth and illuminate this light. And in Mark chapter 4, the light had come. The lamp of the Messiah had been shining, and it, unfortunately many worked to quench the flame that shone brightly for many to see. Digging a little deeper here, the, the lamp. In this verse, the lamp a actually acts as, as the subject of this passage. And it carries with it a, a definite article, a the. The lamp. The passage literally says, is the lamp coming in order to be placed under a basket or under a bed? Clearly Jesus had intended a specific identity for the lamp. He was the lamp. And the message he brought to those who were willing to listen and understand. And the ones who have the lamp, the ones who have Jesus, the ones who have heard the good news about Jesus and embraced him and believed his message, these are the ones looking at the broader context in Mark chapter 4, are, are the ones who have taken root in good soil and produced fruit in the world. Those who believe in Jesus have the light. They have the light. John helps us develop this idea in 1 John 1, 5-7. It says, This is the message you have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship in him, but yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Again, in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 19, Jesus says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And, and the men loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. John 12, 12 46, I have come as a light into the world so that no one who believes in me will remain in darkness. Do you see the important theme of light? In the New Testament and how Jesus is the essence of light and reflects it in the world into the darkness. He is, he is the, the navigating point in which light is followed. And for the identity of Jesus, if you have Jesus, if you know Jesus, you have the light. You have the light. And what are we supposed to do with the light? What, what is the design of light. What are we to do? Jesus alludes to it in this passage, of course. The passive function of light is to eradicate darkness, but the primary purpose and design is to shine in order that we might see things that we otherwise could have never seen. And when Jesus shines the light of truth in our hearts, we are able to see him. C.S. Lewis famously said, 
I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Before the light of Christ shines from us, it must shine within us. And when we peel back what is truly within us, without the light of Christ shining within, what do we find? What do we find within us? The human condition, ladies and gentlemen, is utterly lost. We walk around in the dark. We are full of greed, lust, jealousy, envy, selfishness. We we are full of sin. And when the light of Christ illuminates that, we, we see it. We're able to see the depravity of our human hearts. That there is no light in us or enlightenment that can possibly eliminate this power of darkness other Christ himself. Oh God, how we need your light to purify, to illuminate, to expose, and to abolish the darkness within us. We need the light of God's glory and the perf- his perfection to shine within us, to expose the darkness of our hearts so that we can receive that purifying work, the salvation of God in Christ. And now the Israelites were, were keenly aware of God's presence in the form of light, were they not? I mean, God God led Israel through the wilderness, through the darkness of the wilderness by a pillar of fire at night to pave their way to the promised land. The lampstand in the holy place of the tabernacle was to be tended to day and night to assure that the flame was never extinguished. Furthermore, when Moses was on top of the mountain receiving instruction from God, he came down from the mountain and what happened to his face? It was shining. It was shining the presence of the glory of God so much that he had to veil his face. And the only time he took that veil off was in the tabernacle when he spoke to God and when he spoke to the nation of Israel to give them instruction. The light of Christ should not only shine within us, exposing and eradicating the darkness, but if it's doing its work, shining within us, then it will have no other place to go but shining from us. And what does that look like when the light shines from us? What does that mean practically? Practically speaking, it is simply, simply means living a life like and for Jesus. In word and deed. Standing up for what is right. Defending, protecting, and serving the weak and the marginalized. Caring for the orphan and the widow. Serving your family, your friends, neighbors when a need hits home talking to people about what God is doing in your life and sharing with them the goodness and grace that he has offered you in forgiving your sin and adopting you into his family. We have so much light to share with the world. Bringing Christ to the marketplace, to the culture. This has always been how Christ has shown brightly in the world. Christians, in, the, in their attempt to show the light of Christ to the world, are responsible for the institution of secondary schools, Universities, including the Ivy League schools, hospitals, orphanages, social programs, government, politics, and law. And they fought against evil like sacrifice, uh, human sacrifice, polygamy, infanticide, and slavery. Now sure, the the church and Christians have, have also done a poor job in some of these areas. But Christians have led the way in society. Christians have sought to advance the sciences as Johannes Kepler, the 17th century German astronomer, 
mathematician, astrologer, natural philosopher, and writer of music said, science is the process of thinking God's thoughts after him. Even in our own little community here at Delray Church, I think of our, our food pantry, our partnership with Claris Health Pregnancy Clinic, with Koinonia Foster Homes, our Adoption Assistance Fund, our Congregational Care Fund that's helped families struggling, Afghans seek refuge, bodies healed, and, and so much more that goes unheard and unseen. Praise God. Praise God for this church. We are the only church in this zip code. Did you know that? The light of Christ has a beautiful design. And it is meant to be disclosed. Third point on your outline, the disclosing of the true light. Now, do you remember how, how fun it was when your kids were like two or three years old? If you don't have kids yet, you will. And when they're two and three years old, you'll see them on an Easter egg hunt. And, you know, two or three years old, they're looking for Easter eggs and and. It's so cute because the egg will be right in front of their eyes, right? And they're like, just looking around, like, where are the eggs? Where are the eggs? It's right in front of your eyes. Do you remember the look on their face when you pointed that egg out to them? And they're like, oh, my gosh. What's it? And they opened the candy that was inside of it and how thrilled they were to get that. That's the light that we have when we point it out to the world. Show them where to find it. We as Christians have the light. We have found the light and know where to find the light. It's our responsibility to point it out to others, to show them where to find it. Verse 22, right here in our passage, says, For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor anything been secret, but that it would come to light. Contrary to popular interpretation of this passage, it's not talking about how God will one day expose your deepest, darkest sin. Nowhere in the context does the passage allude to that, but I've heard it before. This is talking about the hidden identity of Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and how his long-awaited coming has finally hit home in Galilee. Here he is, the light of the world, the Messiah, the lamp, is right here in front of us. See him? You see him? We don't have time to get into all the promises and prophecies about Israel's Messiah and how he would come, where he would come from, whose lineage he would be from, where he'd be born from. But for 1995, you can get a laminated poster that shows you. <laughs> it's pretty cool, by the way. Put it up in your house. The, the identity of Jesus the Messiah was, was hidden no more. He was right in front of their eyes. The secret of the kingdom was no longer hidden because the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. Revealed by the miracles he accomplished, the message he proclaimed, the ancestry of which he was begotten, his glory that was revealed, his power that was performed, and the prophecy fulfilled, here he was in full sight before them all. And the popular notion of, of the day in the first century of the Messiah was what? He'd be a political ruler, a military figure, a conqueror. The nation had been historically occupied by the Neo-Babylonians and taken into slavery by them. The Medes and the Persians came in, the Greeks and the Romans came in. 
And they've all had dominating effect over Israel's daily life, culture, language, etc. And the people wanted peace and independence. And their eyes were set on this military and political figure who would rescue them from oppression. Now, if Jesus were proclaiming uh, to be the Messiah to, to everybody at this point, they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't get it. They would have all been confused. This is why he does the business of the Messiah in his healing, in his preaching. And many understand, but many are still left in the dark. But he is there disclosing the light to them. I feel like our culture desires the same thing, right? Even our Christian culture. We have forgotten the history of how Christians impacted the world for Christ, how we've been a witness for Christ in the culture. We so quickly run to political sides for solutions and for answers to the world's darkness. That's the wrong answer. The source of light that casts out sin and darkness will not come from legislation. It will only come from bearing witness to the true light, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, putting him on display in the world. Look at what the church had done in history. Universities, hospitals, orphanages being put on display. It is in him where we find light. In him where we find God and meet God. In him where we find the Savior. In him where we find Hosanna. Lord, save us. King of Israel. And it is him who we share it is him who we ought to create businesses around and perform arts around and create our communities and institution, institutions around. Isaiah knew it. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. He's talking about the Messiah. We live in a dark land, do we not, Delray? He is the light that will shine in the darkness. We know where to find him, so share him. Show him off. We could tend to be really good at sharing a lot of different things with people, right? How to get cheap insurance or how to save money or how to invest in the stock market. We're really excited to share these things with people. And without hesitation, we would share with people how to, how to find a cure for disease cancer or, or against violence or threats. So why is it so hard for us to disclose where to find the light that saves our souls? Preaching to myself here today too. But alas, God, God is gracious. He is faithful even when we are not. Amen. He will save despite our failure and our inadequacy to share him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So have spiritual conversations with people. Don't shy away from them. Don't change the subject. Point to him who is able to save. And I'm so encouraged by some of you in this room. I have been to birthday parties and graduation parties where I've seen it. I've seen it. Spiritual conversations being brought up to those who who don't come to church, who don't know Christ. And even if they reject it, we deliver it. We point to where we can find it. 
Coming to the last verse in this section, verse 23 and point four. The distinguishing of the true light. Verse 23 says this simply, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm not saying that there is true light and false light, but spiritually speaking, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that Satan comes and he is distinguished and disguised as an angel of light. It is our job to listen and discern to divide truth from error. And as the saying goes, God gave us two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we speak. It's interesting though, this passage is really interesting that Jesus got done uh, speaking about a lamp and about how it gives light and how the light illuminates the room and, and Jesus being the light and after this passage, you, you'd expect to, to hear, he who has eyes to see, let him see, right? But you don't. He gives a command. He says to listen, to hear. This is because revelation and explanation go hand in hand. Revelation and explanation go hand in hand. This is in turn the purpose and pleasure of hearing the word of God preached. This is why we open the book every week and explain the scriptures. We are the oldest book club, church. Isn't that cool? We meet every week, open the book, read it, talk about it, and rejoice over it. We absorb the word of God because we love it, and we live it, and we hide it in our hearts so that our hearts could not contain its beauty, but that from our hearts that it would work its way into the world by our hands and our habits in our lives. That is the work of the Word of God. God's greatest gift to us, of course, is what? Salvation through the Son. Without a doubt, 100%. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who lived the perfect life that we could not, died for our sin in our place, according to the Scripture. He was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God. Praise God, by His grace, we are saved. He rerouted our way from eternal darkness, eternal damnation, eternal destruction, and graciously provided a way to the Father through the cross. That's the gospel. That's the beauty. But without the disclosing, the means of salvation through his word, we would be left in the dark. That's why the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We would read nothing. We would know nothing. We would hear nothing without the Word of God in our laps and in our hands. Then it is so that the greatest gift to us is the revelation of Himself through His Word, which leads us to understanding and salvation. God expects us to be a listening people because He is a speaking God. He expects us to be a listening people because he is a speaking God. He expects us to be a reading people because he is a writing God. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you want to know the way to go? Read, listen to the word of God. If you're going the wrong way, the word of God will put you on the right path because it will illuminate your steps. Psalm 119 goes on, verse 130, it says, the unfolding of your word gives light. 
It imparts understanding to the simple. How else do we expect to know where to go, what to do, how to do it, and who to follow, other than by way of God's revealing work through the passages of Scripture? So to add a crescendo to the end of this parable of the soils and the parable of the lamp, Jesus illustrates this. If you have ears to hear, then listen. Listen to him. As one pastor puts it, the distinguishing characteristic of a true Christian is that they listen. They listen to the word of God. They hear it. They believe it. They love it. They obey it. Not as some past act. Not as a prayer, not as a signed card, not as church attendance or even baptism. It is by hearing and responding to divine truth. Not that you once did that, but it is an ongoing process of listening and obeying. The word of God, when listened to and received, finds a place in our heart. Its light exposes and eradicates the darkness and sets our gaze toward the light and away from the darkness. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's sad to say, but, but, but uh, our spirit animal, our spirit animal should really be like a moth or a June bug. <laughs> Helpless, pathetic creatures on the outside, but they have the right idea, right? They have the right idea. They are always going toward the light, going toward the light, because they, they know by it, they will escape the darkness. The last point on your outline is the dictation and direction of our light. How do we apply this? What do we do with the light that we have received? What do we say about it and where do we take it? First, we use the light of Christ within us to proclaim that light to the world around us. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6 says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's an awesome verse. Second, we direct our light to shine in the dark world. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That is the people we ought to be. That is the people we should, the world should know us by. People of the light. A city on a hill, as we read in this morning's opening verse. This church should be known as the light. Like Motel 6, the light is always on. <laughs> in the city of Playa del Rey where the hurting and the broken and the lost would come and find light. In closing, this parable that Jesus is preaching is an, is, is an invitation to see him. An invitation to see him, to know him, to believe that he came to bring his kingdom. That is an invitation to you this morning. 
see him in his word, to know him, the kingdom of God, the parables that witness to it, are like a piece of embroidery that on the one side is a mass of knots and tangles, while the other side is a beautiful finished pattern. So too is this person of Jesus. To outsiders, he is a homespun rabbi without the credentials of a rabbinic school. How might one detect the ordinary threads of such a life in the emerging pattern of the kingdom of God? Only by hearing. The kingdom of God is is confusing to people. They thought the kingdom would be taken by force. They were looking at the underside of the embroidery, and because of what they were looking at, they rejected the king and his kingdom. They did not realize this light. But this was all part of God's plan, church. In the wisdom of the Father, through the rejection of the Son and the forthcoming work of the Spirit, He would make a people called the church, who I witness here today, to be ambassadors of that kingdom. Until one day our King returns in great power and glory in order to take what is rightfully His. Sit upon His mighty throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning nations. And it's this point in our worship service where we take the cup. It's below your seat in front of you, a little packaged container with cracker and juice. And as you take this cracker, this little foam cracker, (laughs) remember that The promise, light of the world has come. The light of the world, the one who gives light and life and enlightenment was stricken and rejected and extinguished. But not for no reason, but for the forgiveness of sin. So we remember him as his body broken and bruised for us. Take and eat. And after their Passover supper, Jesus took the cup and he told his disciples, this is the blood of the covenant that must be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. light of the world, sacrificed himself for you and for me. And we drink the cup and we proclaim his death until he comes. Jesus. But until then, until he does come again, we want our light to shine for him. As C.S. Lewis, again, intently said, Don't shine so others can see you. We have a very popular notion in our culture, right? It's your time to shine. (laughs) Maybe. But don't shine so others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. We need to be photosynthetic people, just like plants and trees who gather energy and life from the sun in order to bear fruit 
we as Christians need to gather light and life from the Son of God in order to bear fruit in the world so that people would see our lives, hear our message, and turn from their sin. And that one day, God might take away their sins. And it would be through the name of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for sending your Son, who illuminated our dark hearts, exposed, helped us to understand how sinful we are in the face of a perfect God, and that through our understanding of our sin, we were led to faith and repentance in pursuit of of the one who is able to save, the light of the world. I pray, Lord, that our church and even our Christian culture would no longer be divided, but that we would unite to be the beacon of light in the world that people would be attracted to. Lord, I feel like right now our Christian culture is failing that mission but we know that you are good, you are gracious and forgiving. Lord, lead us to faith and repentance that we would make you known in this world, in the marketplace, in our churches, in our families and homes, and that you, God, would shine from our lives individually. Give us people to talk to, places to go, until you take us home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.